Okay, so it is February 24th at 2.50 p.m. Eastern. Uh, this is Lesson 5.1 with Ruth and Nick. Three, two, one. Hello, beautiful foot nerds, and welcome to Lesson 5.1, where Ruth and I will be covering the topic of self-awareness. So thank you for being here. Thank you for making a commitment to take responsibility for your health. Uh, and I think today's objective is to unpack the concept of self-awareness and especially how it relates to health and sort of share our perspective, right? Just like in every lesson, we aim to share our perspective to get this ball rolling in hopes that it creates bigger conversations amongst nerds um, and in hopes to give people some material that they can apply and digest and think about um, and then circle back and give their own perspective because I think collectively, this is a this is a it's a heavy topic. I think it's a very important one for health. And so today is more just getting the ball rolling. And like any lesson, if you have any questions, feel free to message us on Slack. Uh, and if you want to contribute anything, a resource, or uh, even record this lesson uh, afresh with someone that you're connected with, then let us know. So let's dig in. And I think a good place to start, as always, is to start with definitions. So even for the person listening. What I would say is pause this right now and write down the answer to two questions in your health log. Number one, how do you define self-awareness? Number two, how do you foster self-awareness? Um, if you don't have answers to those questions, that's okay. But if you have any answer or any current perspective, write it down because I think it's a really beautiful way to be able to circle back to this after, you, after a long time in the program and see like, oh, that's what I used to think it was. Now this is what I think it is. And to kind of like see that um, evolution in your thinking. So Ruth, what, um, how do you define self-awareness? So self-awareness in my worldview is the ability to differentiate what's happening inside myself and what's happening outside myself to understand what my um, to understand my responses to the to the external world, um, to understand my internal intuitions and what resources and tools I have and how do I use them. And then also uh, self-awareness is the, the clarity, like just feeling like I'm in my body and I'm able to lucidly differentiate what it like what's what as far as external and and internal and how am I shaped internally by the world around me and my interactions with the world around me hmm. I like that yeah I mean I think defining terms is so important because we all have our own perspective or definition of terms and if we don't address that right out the gate uh, I think it can create confusion so if we start with just awareness I think awareness is just the state of being conscious of something right being aware of it means you're you're consciously aware of something and then self is just um you as an individual like my myself is nick as the individual um separate from the environment just in terms of um not actually separate but in terms of this context it's like i'm drawing by saying self i'm drawing a line around nick and everything inside is self everything outside is not self Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I think self-awareness to me, self-awareness is proof of work and that work is self-examination and that requires energy. It requires time. It re how do I actually examine myself, right? Like how well do I understand myself? Um, because we always talk about, oh, just be yourself, just be your, you know, be yourself. It's like, okay, well you need to know who you are in order to be yourself. And I think a lot of times we adopt these different costumes depending on who we're around. So when I'm around you, I have a certain, I'm a certain type of Nick. When I'm around my family, I'm a certain type of Nick. And I, you know, throughout my life, I've kind of realized like I we I'm wearing a lot of costumes and I'm wearing so many that it's exhausting to keep track of which costume I should be wearing around which person. And I think the more costumes we wear, the more we forget who we actually are, right? Like who is Nick authentically? who, who am I, who, mm -hmm. you know, and I think self-awareness is, like I said, the result of self-examination, the more self-examination I do, the more self-aware I become. And so self-awareness is kind of the result. It's the output of work put in to try and understand myself, you know, what, what, 
why do I do the things I do? Why do I have the feelings I have? Why do I think the thoughts I think? Um, and just sort of non-judgmentally trying to observe myself as an external person and be like, why does that person do what they do? Right? Like being curious about studying humans and starting with myself. I think that's mm -hmm. self-awareness and just, you know, the, the quest to constantly better understand ourselves, to find our blind spots, to understand the things that upset us or get us excited or make us sad. Um, and I never really, you know, for most of my life, I never knew what self-awareness was. I, mm -hmm. I kind of knew that I liked to hang around with self-aware people who didn't signal, who weren't fake, you know, who are like real mm -hmm. honest humans. And sometimes their honesty was like, you know, harsh. Um, but I respected that way more than someone who just sugarcoated everything, wasn't honest, held everything in, and then, mm -hmm. you know, said things that they wouldn't say to me to other people. Um, right. So, yeah. I wanted to just, I heard some, I heard Mark Manson, who I like that guy a lot because he cusses a lot, but he, <laughs> and then, but it's just a big, it's just a big fake thing to, to address like the soft issues of the human um, journey. But um, he talks, he talked a lot about the different levels of self-awareness and how, you know, we are, we have different levels of self-awareness at different stages in our life. And like around 18 months in child development, we start to become aware of the self but as we go along through our life you know different stages different age brackets will bring us to i think what i consider to be opportunities for different levels of getting to know oneself in our relationship to the world around us and stuff so i thought that was interesting too because i'm getting up in my years and um i know that like how i feel and what I do now in, in, the, in this middle part of my life is very different than what I did when I was a teenager or when I was in my 20s or 30s. And that there seemed to be, from near as I can tell, there's almost like this common sort of natural evolutionary rites of passage that we'll, if, if we are aware, if we're clear and we're not you know, we have our, all of our needs met, right? Because we should probably address the fact that if we have shelter, if we have food, if we have all of our basic needs met, it's really only then that we can actually have the luxury of self-examination, you know? Mm. So I was thinking about how it's different for different stages of life, maybe not necessarily based on age, because some people in their 20s are way more self-aware than I was in my 20s, but just like what your life experiences are and how you embrace the opportunities yeah that's really well said and i think it there's definitely like waves in life just like there's seasons in a year where we kind of have these different uh, and we're gaining experience all the time right so like mm -hmm. once you start to understand and i think self-awareness as a concept is good but i think it can sometimes be taken just too far of an extreme where our focus on the self comes at the expense of disconnecting from our environment right like we can think of the self as this thing conceptually but we the self cannot exist independently of the environment it can't and so you know there's a bi-directional information flow there and we actually need to use the environment to get a better idea of who we are ourselves right the environment includes like the people we're around the relationships we have the behaviors we do to interact with the world around us um so the next point was that taking responsibility starts with awareness and we talk about responsibility a lot in terms of taking responsibility for our health and i think taking responsibility for our physical and mental health starts with gaining an awareness of our behaviors and our thoughts right instead of just being in them and doing the behaviors actually like being aware of what behaviors am I actually doing? Um, almost like you're like from an objective third person view, right? Observing yourself. Um, and I think the ability to respond productively to a situation requires an objective awareness of what is actually happening, right? It's really easy to get sucked into a situation and just basically be in it, but to actually observe it and to really be able to respond to something that comes your way requires you to not just react instinct instinctively, but to actually like observe it, be aware of it, understand the variables. Um, you know, even things like what we eat, what we do, how we behave around others, our feelings, what we're, what we're thinking about. Um, it, it, you know, once we're aware of our behaviors and our thoughts, we can then engage in some self-examination to examine why we do the things that we do, why we think the things we do, right? Um, 
but you first have to be aware of what you're doing before you can start to think about why you're doing it. And, you know, the, I really like the old, the saying that, you know, a problem fully understood is half solved. Once we're aware of our behavior and why we do it, we can then begin to change it. But if we're not aware of what we're doing or why we're doing it, um, then it's really hard to make sustainable changes. And it's easier to not want to put in the work to figure out what we do and why we do it. But in the end, that's how we are able to have productive action be done is to, to really want to understand. You have to have a desire to want to understand yourself. And I think the reality is that like just going day by day and reacting to the environment is way easier, way more comfortable and less energy intensive than really trying to lean into understanding ourselves because mm -hmm. we start to learn things that make us uncomfortable, things that upset us, things we don't like about ourselves. Um, but that's the work needed to get to the other side and be able to change things we want to change. So, yeah. So I, I think it's, I, I was thinking about self-awareness, like why self-awareness and what does it have to do with health? And so, so much of being a foot nerd and being in a, in a program like this is that we have identified areas of our lives that we want to make changes in. And so we have, in order to, like you were saying, in order to make the changes to our overall health and quality of our life, we have to become self-aware in order to make those changes. But I was thinking like, why? Like you were saying, it's ignorance is kind of bliss. And that seems to like the natural human, um, I guess like just the, what happens naturally is autopilot works really well. Mm. So autopilot, we're on autopilot when we tie our shoes, when we start our car, when we when we do these things that you can just do rotely without really needing to be self-aware. So autopilot has a, a real and um, present necessity in our life so that we don't have to be like thinking and feeling about every time we have to do something. But I was thinking about when does, for me personally, when, when did becoming self-aware become a necessity in my life? And I realized that, like, why do we have to talk about this? Because you're like, you're saying it's mostly not uncomfortable. You use words like responsibility. And I'm like, oh, God, not more responsibility. <laughs> but at the same time, it's it comes because repetitively, you know, things aren't going well. So I think for me, self-awareness and the and the the change to want to become self-aware happens when the same obstacles keep showing up to in my relationships or in goals that I want to fulfill. Maybe it's something that I really want to do, but I keep hiding and I, and I keep, I keep resisting or I keep getting distracted and the same obstacles keep showing up in my life mm. to keep me from having healthy or I don't, I don't want to use the word healthy, but satisfying relationships, high quality relationships, richness in, in creativity. You know, I don't know how many times I pick up the guitar and I get too frustrated. And then there's like opportunities for self-awareness. And it's like, you have to, you have to want something so much that you, you have to go through the steps of self-awareness to see why we're reacting the way that we're reacting. And then the journey of self-awareness into that thing begins. And I think it's really important to note that we can we cannot become self-aware independent of other humans and the world around us, you know? So like, I think we'll get into this a little bit more, but um, you mentioned, I think you mentioned something about, you know, along the lines of becoming self-obsessed. Like we can, we can get so involved in examining our reasons why we react the way that we act, that we become like navel gazers or like self-obsessed where actual self-examination can become an obstacle to living out in the world. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. I mean, everything, it's all about context and dosage, right? Yeah. Dosage. So like the difference between self-awareness and um, obsessing over everything and putting too much energy into that at the expense of actually living, everyone has to draw their own line, right? Everyone has to de determine how much self-examination, because the other thing too is like self-awareness and self-examination can easily turn into self-criticism, which is not, right. you know, which done in excess is not healthy. Um, self-obsession where you think everything about you is amazing 
and you constantly reiterate that to yourself is the other extreme and that's probably not good either so yeah i think self-awareness i mean everyone's going to have their own definition of it but i really think that health fundamentally is about wanting to put energy into becoming more self-aware to the things you do and why you do them so that you can understand them and then make true changes right like i had an example written down so you know this is a hypothetical example of kind of a process of where we branch off into self-awareness and how this works so the example is when i feel sad i eat ice cream i know eating a bunch of ice cream is not good for me but it makes me feel better when i'm sad so the the non curious approach is to simply keep eating ice cream when you feel sad because it makes you feel better so that's the best solution you perceive to that problem the self-examination route is why am i feeling sad right which which is a good question um and it makes you have to think it's like well why am i sad maybe it's because i feel lonely or i feel disconnected or because someone's mad at me or because they don't find meaning in my work right my work isn't fulfilling and those are like, they sting a little bit because you have to admit that you're lonely. You have to admit you don't like what you're doing for work. And you have to admit that you haven't yet come to terms with that or wanted to engage in a solution. So that's the self-examination part. And there's no judgment. There's no blame, just curious examination. Like, I wonder why I'm sad. And once you engage with trying to understand why you're sad, you open up the opportunity to have more solutions, right? So now if I'm sad because I feel disconnected, well, ice cream is not the sole solution right? Because that actually doesn't solve the problem. That's just kind of solving the symptom, which is sadness. And maybe you think like, okay, I wonder if there's a community I could engage with. Like maybe I start yoga and I meet people. Um, maybe I start a gym membership or I, I prioritize more high quality time spent with family or I, or I switch to more fulfilling work. That's a much broader option range. Um, it's easier just to eat ice cream. It's harder to engage with that. It's harder to make meaningful changes in your life, but it's way more rewarding in the end. And I think that's kind of like what health is, right? The easiest things often create problems long-term and solve short-term uh, issues. The harder thing, the harder path is to want to put more energy to uncover what is actually happening uh, and to do the harder thing because in the end, it's gonna be the easier thing. And so, yeah, I think that to take responsibility we need to start with awareness of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that immediately leads you down a path of that is much more fulfilling and much more energy intensive. Um, and I think leads to health much more than just sticking in the loop that we're currently in. Mm -hmm. So let's talk um, about, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and then why that's important in the big picture is that because so just to just to summarize everything we've talked about in the in respect to like our overall health is that something we've been talking about all along, which is that when we take care of our health or our self-awareness and we become more self-accepting, which is self-acceptance, then maybe leads to a little bit of self-compassion. And when you are living with these alternatives to guilt or shame or all the other feelings, or you know yourself better, then that, that bleeds into or trickles into the world around us so that I think, especially, you know, we can't deny right now that it is just such an intense time in the world for so many different people that um, otherness and being disconnected from the world around us, um, if we can become more self-aware then and more self-accepting and more self-compassionate and we understand ourselves, then when we see something that's different from us or that looks like a threat to us, then we can then see ourselves in the other people and become more accepting and more self um so this was my like this was my my little pathway to why is this important to talk about in our foot nerd program is that not only do we feel better and have a higher quality life as humans but it also spreads into the world around us where we can kind of you just by taking care of ourselves we can take care of the situation right around us with more tools that's what i to say yeah and I think it's so easy to judge people without understanding their circumstances. And I think what self-awareness self practice does is it makes us less judgmental to ourselves, right? It gets us doing reps all the time of being yeah. less judgmental, of seeking more understanding, of being more compassionate. And I think how, I, you know, I've always felt that how people treat other people is a really just an indicator of how they treat themselves. So if we treat exactly. ourselves terribly, we're going to treat everyone else terribly because they don't deserve any better than us. 
And when we flick the switch and start to try and understand ourselves and are just more gentle and less judgmental and just more curious, I think that rubs off and makes you more curious to try and understand someone else before Mm -hmm. you react to them, before you um, make a judgment on the way they behaved Mm -hmm. or what they did. It's like, okay, well, maybe I should understand that person a bit more, like be more curious and less judgmental. And I, yeah, I think what happens internally gets turned around and faced externally. Um, And the cool thing is that we can practice this on ourselves at any time. And that's what practices so that we can then expose it to the world and make the Mm -hmm. world better by just being more understanding. Um, And Nick, you, you, it's funny because you actually brought up something that I had written in my notes that I wanted to really talk about, which, or I wanted to emphasize, which is that when I started to like really get uncomfortable and think like, Ooh, time for me to like hunker down and see why I react the way I react in certain situations was that very thing. I had teachers, mentors, or read articles where they, they would say that the way that you see the other person, the way that you see the world around you is a reflection of what's happening inside yourself. And I remember thinking, oh no, <laughs> that's not good. And then I, and then also that idea, which I think most of us have heard is that, um, or the question, like if somebody posed to you, if, if you were to have an internal, if you were to speak to a friend, somebody that you care about, the way that you speak to your own self inside your your <laughs> inside your head and your body, would you have any friends left? And I was like, oh snap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's I think what really got me that along with like watching people like you were saying who have like a level of self-awareness or who seem to feel comfortable in their skin and like at ease and were re- and people who are really kind, like authentically kind, straightforward, no bullshit. But I was like, I want to be like that. And in order to be like that, that is a path of self, a path of self-examination and self-awareness. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot like the most self-aware people I know who I try and spend as much time around as I can, because it's really that there's so much learning gets done there, um, are the people who have put the most time and effort into self-examination. That's it. They're the people who meditate the most. They're the people who spend the most time in solitude. They're the people who protect their attention the most. Um, so I've kind of learned from them because, and, and I get it now. It's like, unless you purposely and intentionally create space for self-examination, meaningful self-examination, not just like, oh, I'm supposed to do this. So I'm just gonna pretend to do it. It's like, no, it's hard. It's uncomfortable you once you kind of get an understanding of yourself it's like every time you spend a batch of energy understanding yourself you've peeled back a layer of the onion then you have to go put yourself in a challenging situation to uncover the next layer that you have to start to work on and there's unlimited layers Mm -hmm. and so the the level of challenge in terms of like someone who you really uh upsets you or in the past really upset you like you just didn't like to be around Putting yourself around that person can really be a powerful experiment for yourself um, mm-hmm. to really understand, like, why am I so under- turned off by this? What do, what do I not like in that person? Oh, it turns out that the thing I don't like is actually something I do and I don't like about myself, right? And they, like, it stings. It's like, oh, ooh, that doesn't feel good. Yeah. But, but there's always good insights that come from it. So, mm-hmm. And on the other side of that coin about solitude and um, time spent, in deep self-examination is the opposite of that. So we talked about this a little bit before we started, which is that I find that I participating in sports where like the people are not super close to me, but I have to interact. And then I get to see how I react in a situation, a competitive situation, or you just get to see um, when the world around you is doing whatever it's doing, like, how, how does that affect, like, how, how do I respond to that? So how do I respond to losing or how do I, or how do I talk to myself if I repetitively miss my serve or the, the opportunity to play on a team where you have like lots of different people with different, like, especially now where like we live in our own personalized, customized world with our own personal playlists and everything we could ever want is like right at our fingertips where we don't have to tolerate anything that's different from us. So playing on a sports team or like, this is why we love the hero's journey or I don't know about other people, but I really love like 
baseball movies or movies where like you see team players that are so different. This guy is super quiet and introspective and he has like weird rituals and that guy's really loud and he's the team star and he thinks that he's so great, but they all work together and they all play off of each other in order to learn about themselves and each other and then ultimately work together as a functional unit. And I freaking love that because it's not so deeply intimate where I'm like, okay, enough with the, enough with the super closeness. I think I have like a really, you know, I've had so much of that in my life. That's like, let me have a little space and then how can we work together, but still learn about ourselves in that situation. Yeah. It's like you come together to get some, to, to get gather data and then you can kind of like process it yourself. Exactly. Right? And it's it's not like you're processing in real time. It's like, okay, I'm going to like take a little mental clip of that and I'm going to put that aside. I'm going to deal with that tomorrow because that's yeah. something, something's there that needs to be dealt with. <laughs> yeah. um, and let's talk about self-examination practices because even just saying self-examination is very esoteric, right? Like what the hell does yeah. that mean? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what are, what are ways that you, what are practices that you have in your life that allow you um, to, to delve into self-examination. And then I'll share the one that I have. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of overlap, but just briefly, you know, what are different ways or methods that you use in your day-to-day life to engage in self-examination? So very quickly, I, off the top of my head, I have four ways. Okay. That is tennis. I play on a tennis team. And then I'm also coached by my spouse. And by coached, I mean, like he's, he taught me lots of stuff. And at first I was resistant and I learned a lot about my intimate relationship and a lot about myself as a move, a person who likes to move their body and all those different, so much there. So tennis, um, learning to play an instrument, whether it's the guitar, the ukulele or the piano and seeing how I respond to frustrations, like not getting my thing, you know, thinking, here's the thing is like, you were saying, I think I'm, because I think I'm a fabulous person. I think I'm going to be great at playing the piano and then trying to play Mary Had a Little Lamb. You're like, I'm shit at this. (laughs) (laughs) And then being so arrogant that I don't take instruction well. So like, those are just, and then like, and then eventually getting broken down, like I can't get better unless I take instruction better, you know, stuff like that. Meditation, sitting in meditation quietly and letting the, all the nasty things I think about myself come out or, you know, and just like sitting there in discomfort. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fourth one, I forgot. That's okay. It'll probably come to you. Um, yeah, for me, it's anything like I spend a lot of time in solitude and I define solitude as time alone, free of input from other minds. So not reading a book, not listening to, go to a podcast, just like with myself. Um, that can be done in meditation. It can also be done like journaling. Like at the end of every day, I write a note down to, to, to myself, um, not to show to anyone, just to say like, this is how my day went. This is the lesson I learned. This is something that I think I need to spend more time thinking about. So meditation, journaling, going on a walk, um, spending time in, inter- in intimate relationships, like close relationships. I think that's a really powerful source of data for self-examination. Um, asking for honest feedback from people who I admire and respect and kind of understand their values. And for me, it's just like a self audit, right? Like if I go through a really challenging situation, I'll usually do like a little debrief. I'll go for a walk or just sit with myself for 10 minutes. And it's really about asking myself good questions with an honest intent to try and answer them with honesty, right? Like, you know, what upsets me? Why did it upset me? Um, What are my blind spots? What am I not seeing? Uh, What did I get triggered by? Why did that trigger me? right? What are my biases? What are my vulnerabilities that I'm scared to share? What makes me scared? All these kind of things. It's like, I think self-examination is just asking ourselves authentically curious questions, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very curious to understand myself. Cause the other thing too, is like, we talk about the self as this like thing, but every experience you have molds the self. And so you might have, think you have a lockdown understanding of yourself and then something happens and it rocks your world. And it's like, well, now I got to better understand. I reacted in a way that I wasn't expecting. So what am I not tuning into? What do I not understand about myself or has myself changed without me really realizing it? So it's really just time spent being able to be with our own thoughts and to with curiosity, without judgment, trying to figure out ourselves, right? Like I try and spend at least one hour a day with my own thoughts. And that's like, 
two little uh, 20 minute sessions of meditation and at least one walk or a good journaling session um, with full focus, no distractions, um, fully present in the experience. And, you know, oftentimes when I'm really mentally foggy, some self-examination creates radical clarity. Um, and I think it's, you know, feeling mentally foggy or sad or anxious about some sort of uncertainty is not, is not comfortable, right? And I think the reality is that we have so many things to distract us now that we develop these habit loops, these unconscious habit loops where it's like, I feel shitty, I eat this. I feel shitty, I go on Instagram, I go on Twitter, you know, I go on Netflix. The less convenient thing to do and the harder thing, more uncomfortable thing is to spend time in self-examination. And, you know, I think once you start to see the result of, okay, I, I felt crappy and then I just went on Instagram and I felt great for like half an hour. And then I felt even shittier because I knew I shouldn't have been doing that. And I knew, and the, the issue that I was feeling bad about never got resolved. So it takes like seeing patterns in your life that, okay, well, when this happens and I do this, it doesn't result in a good outcome despite feeling good short-term. When I do this, it's harder in the short-term, but long-term it's way better. And so it's really just, you have to reinforce it with yourself to know that the harder path is the better path because you can't explain that to someone and really think that they're like, well, why would I do that? That's shitty. That feels terrible. I can't even sit down for five minutes, which was me for most of my life. And so it's really, you got to really want to, it has to, your health and your well-being has to matter enough for you to put the energy in. And I think that's the biggest thing about the Footner program is like, if you're willing to commit an hour of a day, what you might do might vary widely and should vary widely from everyone else. But if at minimum, it's just an hour moving and and time spent for you thinking about the way you do things and trying to inquire as to like why do i do those things that's a really powerful daily hour and when you see the results of being more clear less anxious happier healthier it's like that alone is a reinforcer to be like i want to do more of this i want to spend right. more periods of time in my day thinking without other people saying things to me or without being distracted so yeah, I think it seems yeah. like that there's like a ref, I don't know if it's a refractory period, but like what what is it that that's called when like you realize going on Instagram felt great for a half an hour. And then the more that you engage in other practices, like it struck me that walking the minute I go it used to be I felt OK and I would go unconscious and do the thing that seemed like, it, you know, to just disassociate from the discomfort of what I was feeling. But now that time has shortened so much that as, as soon as I, as soon as I start to recognize the disassociative type of like addictive pattern, I will go for a walk. I think going out for a walk without your phone, without your earphones or anything like to distract you and walking and just looking at the world around you is the, now that is way more comfortable than even just five minutes of unconscious scrolling. Yeah. And I think there's also, it's also important to recognize that we do need times where we drift off. You know, sure. we've talked in like, I, in the, the I mean, <laughs> yeah. So like where we, we've talked in like the deep work sessions. Now we're in block five. So we're, we're nearly at the end, but um, so we've been practicing this for a long time now over the past, you know, year, essentially. Maybe self-awareness should be earlier. And uh, yeah, maybe so. Uh, right. Yeah, it definitely seems like it now that we're doing this. Anyway. But but I think it's like it's a good overview because it never ends. Right. But um I forget where I was going with that, but um essentially that the the thing that used to be uncomfortable now becomes the most comfortable and you have yeah. the tool and then it and then you, and then you just like, "Oh, yeah, that feels so much better." Like now I get up, it, I just feel a little bodily discomfort if I start to do something that isn't good for me or that doesn't feel good. And then I think to myself, this doesn't feel quite right. I'm not super clear. Maybe it's right when I get up in the morning and I grab for my phone, which has been happening lately since when, when it gets really intense, yep. I go back to some old triggers, right? Where I'm, I grab for my phone, I start looking around and then I'm like, this doesn't feel right, but I'm in a new crisis or something. So I, I don't have my tools are not very clear. But then in a shorter amount of time than it used to be, I get outside and yes. I happen to love the fog. And so it's been foggy outside and it feels really nice and the air is really wet and I go for a walk and I'm like, yes, this is, this is so much better. So the, the tools of health end up becoming the most comfortable thing and the unhealthy thing that doesn't make us feel very good 
like you were talking about ice cream, ice cream isn't inherently bad, but when it's associated with guilt or you feel guilty, you have to examine why do I feel guilty when I eat ice cream or why do I feel sad when I eat ice cream? Because ice cream is fucking awesome. In the in the right in the right frame of mind in celebration at a feast with you know not because you're trying to fill a soulful a soulless void in your yeah yeah yeah. you know and it it takes time to kind of like work that out right like am I eating ice cream because I want to eat ice cream and and it's completely fine or am I eating it because I'm trying because ice cream has become a solution to a problem and I know it's not the right solution. And I think one thing you said is very key. It's like, no one's ever going to be perfect. This never ends. We don't just not do the wrong thing, the thing that gives us short-term relief. I do it all the time. Mm -hmm. But you're right. The period that it takes for you to recognize that that's not the most productive um, solution to that problem shortens. Mm -hmm. And once in a while, when things get crazy hectic, you have opportunities for self-awareness to see what things you revert back to. I've been doing Mm -hmm. it like right now, this is the tail end of a of, of an insane period in my life. And I found myself immediately wanting to go to the phone because it was my source of news to like what was going to happen that day. Mm-hmm. But I start to recognize that that is, you know, I'm, I'm going there on autopilot now and I'm recognizing that. And I know I need to sort of unwind that. I didn't judge myself for doing it. I was just like, hmm, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, just like as if I was observing someone else. And I think if we just take that approach and like, this is a mental model I started to take observe myself like I'm a six-year-old child. I wouldn't get mad at a kid for doing anything. They don't know any better. They're just doing the best thing they know how to do. Mm-hmm. What I would do is probably ask them why they did that and, and maybe brainstorm with them better solutions if it wasn't a productive behavior. That's the dialogue I have with myself. And I think that is the most productive way to go about trying to unwind ourselves, figure ourselves out is just treat us like a little kid that doesn't know any better because that's really what it is. Most the programming that's on us was not consciously chosen by us it was bestowed on us without any permission because we were just learning whatever we had around us so yeah i think the recognizing sooner and even if you go through like even if i recognize that going to instagram is not the right thing i'm like screw it i'm gonna do it for 30 minutes and then i'm gonna be mindful that next time this happens i'll i'll sort of get the balls rolling again, right? Is this the right thing to do? How, you know, maybe I'll set a timer and instead of half an hour, I'm just going to go 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's a really a process, right? Yeah. Um, and there's no and right will, or wrong way of doing it. And I will say, you know, um, I'll say this, that even when I think the key is conscious or unconscious, right? Cause mm-hmm. I have even had moments where I've had friends and I was like, and I consciously was saying to my friends and myself, I want to go drink beer and eat pizza because I want to talk about the situation and I want to like unload. And it Mm -hmm. was a conscious choice to eat a pizza, drink some beers. And can we just get to the bottom of this situation? Whereas, you know, I found myself go to the freezer or whatever, whatever it is. I overeat on walnuts sometimes and dates (laughs) and I'll just start stuffing the, by the way, a walnut inside of a date is very delicious. That sounds good. And, um, and you just, even though it's like a healthy snack, right? So we're, we're tricky with ourselves. Yes. I just we're really good have at fooling a, ourselves. Yeah. And I will have a very uncomfortable situation. And yet, interestingly, I'm just going to give an example here. You know, filming these lessons in the beginning was so nerve wracking. And then when I was done, I it would feel like celebrating. It would be like elated. But then there was some like self critical voice in my head, like you're shit, you shouldn't, you don't have any business filming these lessons or whatever. So instead of like doing what I knew to be better, which was like, maybe go for a walk and have, just have some like ruffle my feathers a little bit and Mm -hmm. get it out of my system, which was the best thing. I'd go to the cabinet and eat the healthy snack, like 10 in a row, just like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) To shut up the voice. Like maybe if I, maybe if I put it in my mouth, the voices won't speak. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but I think like it's just a matter of conscious or unconscious, you know, and even and that there there, there are just consequences for for, yep. you know, the stuff. So not to demonize food or pizza or beer, or ice cream or it's just how and what is what what is the frame of mind that we're in when we engage in those behaviors? Exactly. Same thing. Same thing with sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, all behaviors really cannot be taken out of context. Um, yeah. 
right? It's like, what context is it in? Are you doing it consciously or unconsciously? Is this a reaction or is this an intentional behavior you're doing? Because the same behavior can have very different contexts. Yes. Um, and it's really trying to evaluate the surrounding context of why you did something and whether you're choosing to do that or whether it's just autopilot. And that is the self-examination, right? Mm -hmm. Those questions and figuring out and being honest with yourself and knowing that you're the easiest person to fool yourself. Mm -hmm. That's like a prerequisite. Like I catch myself fooling myself all the time, right? Oh, this is healthy. So I just eat a shitload of them. Like that wasn't a good yeah. excuse. <laughs> so um, one other element, you know, we talk about how self-awareness, there's a lot of inner work that we do ourselves, but fundamentally self-awareness the data we gather, the most potent data we gather is from others, right? Is spending time with others. So I think welcoming and actively seeking honest feedback, which can sometimes sting, um, for me is a very powerful tool, right? Um, like accepting criticisms without immediately trying to defend myself. Um, recognizing when my ego is trying to defend itself, which sometimes comes at the expense of not learning um, what what's being said to me, right? Um, entering challenging situations and conversations with the intention to really listen and put aside reacting. So, you know, like I was telling you about this exercise I did with my brother and his girlfriend, and we did this exercise before dinner one day, and it was, we're each going to tell each other something we don't like about the other person. And it was like scary, right? And it, it, and it was, this isn't something that I would tell everyone to do, but like I have a certain kind of relationship with them and I'm like, this would be a good exercise. So we did it. And the person saying it has to be brave enough to be like, well, I hope this person doesn't hate me for saying this person receiving it has to be aware that it's like, I'm just going to take this in objectively. doesn't mean it's true, but it's telling me something that they think about me that I probably don't know. And it was like the most intense, it was like cold exposure for blind spots is the best way I can word it. And it was after it was done, we gave each other like a, it was like a three-way hug. And we're like, wow, we feel really light right now. And it was like, it was like there was something slightly under the surface, despite us having great relationships that we just didn't want to say. And saying it was so cathartic, knowing I said this with love, the person received it with love, they can do with it what they want. But, you know, this whole idea of going out of our way to seek honest feedback, that is the ultimate way of self of, of really getting potent data about our blind spots. And it's really hard on both sides. But for me, it was very, um, very powerful. And I think this whole idea of seeing how you react when you're criticized is a beautiful way to observe and self-examine you and mm -hmm. understand yourself. What are your this thoughts is, on this that? Is, this is me when I get criticized. <laughs> no. yeah. It's like, what did um, you say? What did you say? I can't hear you. Exactly. Yeah, you're really you're going like this, but you're saying fuck this person. This person's so wrong right now. That's bullshit. No, I think well, one defense mechanism I have because I think I did I mentioned in this recording about my family, right? Mm -hmm. Uh no, I think it was before we were recording. Okay, so I grew up in a family that were that were very, you know, it wasn't always healthy how enthusiastic we were about criticizing each other. Or, I don't think or, my family had that too. Don't you worry. Or pointing out our blind spots. Right. So I think um, it my defense. like a gotcha game. It's like ah, I don't. You suck at this. Yeah. Ah, gotcha. So one of the thing, one of the self defense mechanisms I had against that was to do it for them. And I even noticed this just in my life now. Like I am almost overly self deprecating. I criticize myself so much so that you don't have you don't have to do it because I got that. <laughs> Mm. you know so then that's yeah. really that's not healthy either you know it's it's like I don't I'm so fearful of the criticism that I just berate myself so that nobody else has to do it and then right. that's not that's not honest and that's not real self-awareness but I think what I did mention is that there's a lack of safety there of feeling you know, I think I told you before we were recording, I was jealous when you told me about that experience because that you could feel safe enough to do that with people in your life. My question for you about that before I go on is, did you, when, when they told you the thing that they didn't like about you or that your blind spot was there, did you already kind of have an inkling about that about yourself? 
Was yep. that something that wasn't any, probably anything new to you? You probably somewhere inside, you knew that about yourself, right? Yeah, for sure. And there are things that they were things that I was already aware of and working on. Um, yeah. But them saying it told me how apparent it was in my relationship with them. Right. And, and um, one of the things was not something I thought was in that relational dynamic is with other people, but it told me, oh, wow, this is showing up with this person too. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And try to make me think like, what situations or engagements do we have that um, would have created that, that, um, that response, right? Mm -hmm. And so it made me like think like all, it's almost like you go through all the previous interactions that could be related to that. It's just a really good exercise. Um, yeah. But yeah, they weren't surprising. Uh, my initial reaction was like, oh, that's bullshit. But then I was like, actually, that's not bullshit. That's definitely yeah. not bullshit. Um, and it's all contextual, right? And th I think the thing there was that we talked about beforehand was like, just because someone says something about you, it doesn't mean it's objectively true. It means that that's how they feel, right? right. So it's not like someone says, oh, X. It doesn't mean you're like, oh, I'm X now. It's like, right. okay, interesting. Tells me so, something. Doesn't necessarily yeah. mean that that's the absolute truth. We talked about this, right? Because the lesson is not what the person says. The lesson is what it stirs up inside yes. you, yes. right? So, so that's where the opportunity to engage with self-awareness and, and seeing how, how that plays out. But what I was going to say about my experience is that um, not having a safety net of those people, uh, what, what, what I've done is I've participated in sports and that where people we have to depend on each other but we have to appreciate the differences and Esther Perel in the podcast that we listened to calls I love how she talks about this because she talks about complementarities which I had never heard of before but essentially what she's saying is that when let's say you're fighting with a person or you're having a difficult time in a relationship and you are pointing the finger, right? So like if it's a, a partnership or something and somebody spends too much money or like you spend all those pennies on that, instead of saying, instead of approaching it from that respect, it's like, how can I actually need the differences of that person? Or the thing that I don't like about, seemingly not like about that person is something that I actually need so when we talk about sports teams, it's like the pitcher of a baseball team has a certain personality that you may not like, or the prima donna, or the, you know, the quiet one, or the overly bullyish one. But when you're all working together, you have to find ways to deal with each other yourself, and then find, and then recognize that we actually need those differences, because the differences complement us. And I think ultimately, what I have learned by trying to become a little bit more self-aware and taking the risk with other humans in order to have this feedback loop is that the world just be, is more rich. Like it's not, we have to have the differences. We have to have the things that we butt up against that are friction and abrasive in order to like actually have a really colorful and awesome teamwork, you know? So that's why I think self-awareness, it's like, I want to feel comfortable in my own skin. Yes. But even more importantly, I want to be comfortable in the world around me and having like rich relationships and a better life. Yeah. I think one thing that jumped out at me when you're talking there is acceptance. And I had this yeah. habit in most of the relationships in my life where I always tried to change the other person. I was always like, oh, well, I know what healthy behaviors are and you're not doing healthy behaviors. So I'm going to try and change you to make you healthy. <laughs> and what I realized is that, you know, accepting people for who they are, having dialogue about things that, you know, your perspective of like, I think I, this is the better way to have a healthy body. You might think differently. We can have a dialogue. But what I realized is like this, this attempt to always change people in the way that I thought they should be was so unproductive in relationships and this sense of this this insight that acceptance is good right you, you talk about all the different personalities some of whom you don't like they need to be there so you can observe what that is like and determine well i don't want to be like that but i'll accept mm -hmm. that person for who they are and engage with them based on my tolerance right mm -hmm. but we have to see all the different things because diversity is beautiful and it also allows us a menu to be able to choose from. It's like, well, I, I don't like these things about that person, but I really like that. So I'm going to take that on. 
And I'm not going to try and change that person because that's who they are. And they'll grow as time goes on. If the world gives them signals that certain behaviors are shitty, they'll probably change. But they don't have to, I don't have to try and change them. So yeah, I think just accepting people for who they are, not being afraid to give them honest feedback, but not trying to change them and not placing a condition of love on them changing something about them. That's a mm -hmm. really, that for me was like a really big one. Um, yeah. Let's talk about triggers because I think, and this kind of ties into what we talked about last, where we learn through others about blind spots. But, you know, to me, a trigger is an event or a situation that provokes a really powerful mental, physical, or uh, emotional reaction, right? Um, or, or even a memory. And I think, you know, not getting triggered, like not getting triggered does not mean um, not feeling anything. What it means to me is identifying the incoming reaction and having one layer of separation between reacting and or, versus acknowledging the reaction, taking a second and then responding. And I, I really think that like evaluating the circumstances that are around events that trigger me and sort of, I think the biggest thing with triggers is like, I, I take responsibility for my triggers now. So when, when I get upset at something, it used to be, shouldn't have said that that's stupid. Like you're, you're dumb. Don't talk to me. But now it's like, Oh, this is my thing to deal with. This is my, this is the trigger is mine. It's not that person's fault, right? The victim mindset is it's your fault. It's a problem with you, not me. The responsibility, the person who takes full responsibility is, oh, I got to explore something because there's something unresolved there because I just got really upset about something you did, but it's not what you did. It's my perception of what you did. And I got to investigate why I got upset, right? Like it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's almost always things that I take personally and upset me the most are almost always filled with truth. And they're usually things that are unresolved or dormant that I know need attention, but I haven't given it attention, maybe because it's too painful or it's too uncomfortable. And so now the trigger is a prompt for inquiry, not the problem. Right. And it's like, that's a different dynamic, I think. But yeah, because mm -hmm. I know people that get triggered and they just go off. And it's like, mm -hmm. I know that I probably used to be like that. But when you start to accept responsibility for things that upset you and don't blame others, but seek to kind of explore curiously, mm -hmm. it's like totally different dynamic in the world now so yeah. yeah triggers yeah I, th I think that like I think as as I get older more and more and I've spent so much time alone like I just am, I see the value of having a tribe mm. you know just a, a clan of the people around that are like oh girl you kind of what was that about you know where you're just <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so and then just people like you were saying who know you really well and um and know your history and just the beauty of having other people around to just help you. Yeah. I guess like you were talking about exhaustion, you know, it's just, it's exhausting trying to change people. It's, it's exhausting trying to hide your own, you know I mean? I, I think that triggers are so valuable. It's like pain, right? It's, yes. it's, it's trigger is just another word for pain. It's a signal to change. Yep. Yep. And, um, yeah, so I, I love the idea too. And, and, and this is important because I've been in a marriage for a long time. And Esther Perel, who's my new, my new hero, talks about relationships, not just love relationships, but work relationships and, mm -hmm. and family relationships and everything. And, and the whole idea about at, um, how in a marriage you go through, like, as you become self-aware, as you practice being in relate, she talks about like how we cannot be who we are without the other person, like who, how we interact with each human in our life. Like you were talking about our costumes shapes who we are as humans. And in my marriage, and she talks about, she's been married for a long time. She's like in her sixties. And she talks about how in her actual marriage, this is their fourth marriage. And I really love the idea about how how we change as humans. And one thing I'm just noticing real time as I get better, and it's, I, I know that I'm always plugging the foot nerd program, but I seriously do not think that I would have as happy a life if I didn't have the foot nerd program and the foot nerds, because like my marriage is just so much better. My relationships, okay, my family relationships are a work in progress, <laughs> but my- I think they are for everyone. But my marriage itself, it's like the world, you know how that saying is, the world changes as you change. 
-hmm. The world around you will change as you change. And I just see the quality of my marriage improving as I become more open to changing myself. Yeah. Like this program is not an easy thing. No. Right. And, and then, you know, even the word program, it's like, this is just a guide. I like the word protocol because they're just like, protocol. okay, try this and then see what you get from it. Right. It's not like learn this, be programmed by this. It's like, here's a protocol. We try and cover as broad a definition of health as we can. And they're essentially just nuggets that you pick up, put in your pocket, go about your life, and then use them as tools to make sense of the data you're getting in, but you might not be paying attention to. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I really think that it's such a bi-directional flow, right? Like I, I really think health, the, when we start to disconnect from ourselves by not wanting to do some self-examination from others, by not engaging in relationships, which can be scary and by disengaging with the world, like not spending time in nature and being just on tech, it's like the, the fundamentally, the disconnection is what results in a lack of health. And all we've done with the foot program is essentially create a conduit for connection, for reconnection, right? Like we already had all this stuff. It was already built in. We just forgot about it or got distracted from it. Um, and fundamentally it's a hard thing. Like it's work. Mm -hmm. People sign up to do a lot of work. And so it's a certain kind of person that's motivated enough to do that. And I think you get out of this, what you put in. And I think a lot of people come into this and I think we've really learned you and I, how to, how to essentially create the application, which is simple, but also determines people's willingness to commit. And that was the biggest thing we learned this year. It's like, just give people a, a basic commitment, 360 days, one hour a day. What actually gets filled into there is very subjective and very flexible. But the commitment itself is the most significant thing. You have made a self-commitment, a contract with yourself to spend an hour a day on your health. You make meaning of what spending an hour a day on your health means, but that commitment is so important because you learn so much. Um, the last thing I had written before we chat about experiments is just self-regulation. And we'll, I won't talk about it for long, but what I mean by that is like, we, I think self-awareness along with self-awareness comes in a, an understanding of what your limits are and being able to draw the line of, okay, I'm in a place right now where I have a good understanding of self. I'm clear. Now I can step outside my realm of comfort and challenge myself so that I can gather more data. And there's a difference between doing that and sort of building some emotional resilience by doing challenging things or just getting overwhelmed and then being really like getting really discouraged. So I think, mm -hmm. I think we, part of the process of self-awareness is knowing what boundaries am I, what, where are my boundaries? How comfortable am I going outside the boundaries and what is the safe retreat where I can then like make sense of things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that kind of plays into it as well. Risk tolerance. Risk tolerance. Yeah. And the more risk we take and the more positive outcomes we create out of those risky things, the more confidence we build that we can handle risk better, yeah. right? The, things might happen, but our perception of what those things are and, and the lessons we learn from them, it's like a big shift where it's like the scarier the stuff I do is, the more I learn about myself. And I don't need to do the scariest thing right now. Mm -hmm. But when I feel really good and I've spent a lot of time understanding myself and I have a grounded understanding of me, then I'm ready to do some challenging stuff if it comes mm -hmm. my way. And I think that confidence just kind of like snowballs and builds. Um, okay. I'm going to list off some experiments. Um, we already talked about how do you define self-awareness and what are your practices that foster it? What's one, one thing you do that you want to stop and why do you do it? That's a really good one. What's one thing you do that you want to stop. And more importantly, why do you do that thing? What thing precedes it that makes you want to do that thing? Um, that's a really good one. Writing a note down every time you get triggered by something like a very brief note, like today I got upset. This is what upset me. And then just kind of by actually writing it down, you hit control save in your brain. It gives you something to kind of work through later on. That's a good one. And then, um, a good one is wh who are the three people in your life, uh, that you can trust to give you honest feedback. And one that I didn't have written down, but I heard Esther Perel say, um, is what's one thing that you wouldn't want your best friend to know about you? Yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah. that's a doozy. That's a, that's a, you know, that's an advanced one, but I think, you Do know, you want to hear mine? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Later. Yeah. I gotta, but I, I, when I got that, I was like, Ooh, that's a really good one because yeah. that tells you so much. There's so much learning in just, um, not even saying it, but just going mm -hmm. through the mental exercise of what would I say? What is the answer to that question? 
And there's so many layers of like, or even just, even just what, like, even just what gets stirred by seeing the question there. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. oh, hell yes. no. I can't tell you how much of the Footnote program I'm like, hell no. Okay, yeah, maybe. I know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It kind of grows on you. It's like, I can't, yeah. I'm not going to do that. Screw that. And then it's like, yeah, maybe I could do it. I'll think about exactly. doing it. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. then when you actually do it, you're like, oh, man, that was scary, but I feel so yeah. good now. Yeah. So I have, I have one extra experiment to add to the list. And that is, experiment with something that do something like maybe it's an instrument or dancing something that you have told yourself I could never do that that's not in my wheelhouse I could never do that like try that thing like start to take the initial steps you know for me the piano we have this electric piano it sat there for so long Matthew plays it and I just ignored it I could never do what he does I know you know the the little voices and then all of a sudden he was like, do you want to learn how to play Mary Had a Little Lamb? And I, and now I do. And so learn something, do something that you think that you dancing or yeah, that intimidates you. Like I could never paint. I had a dinner party where I had people over and I had paint there and it was the most exhausting dinner party I've ever had because all the people came with things like that. People have no problem saying like, I'm not creative. I could never do this. And then I just say, well, just try. But when they left, I was like, holy shit. Like we just got a, we just, everybody unloaded their internal dialogue about yeah. creativity. And so try something that you would say that about. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, a little self-awareness nugget is like, if you've decided you can't do something, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. But it's only because you've pre-decided you can't do it, right? If you believe you can or you believe you can't, either way, you're right. So you may as well be open-minded to saying, I wonder if I can do that. Mm-hmm. Give it uh, a go. Give it a go. Yeah. So we hope you found this lesson helpful. Took some notes in your log. Um, listening to this is proof of work. Self-awareness is proof of work of time spent in self-examination. Um, thanks for taking responsibility for your health. And we hope that you can connect with your learning partner or people in your pod, um, to discuss this lesson and maybe like go a little bit deeper than superficial. I think as time goes on, you know, this is in block five. So relationships will have deepened over the course of the program. And so, uh, yeah, love to hear stories about uncomfortable things that were great learning experiences. So Mm -hmm. thanks for listening and ciao for now. Ciao for now, friends.